Good morning, Living Water. Hey, one more thing I would throw out there today. Um, have you ever done or participated in, in the past, a walk to Emmaus? Raise your hands. Anybody ever had that experience? It's pretty cool. I uh, did it several years back. Today at 2 o'clock, I believe, right, Cody? At 2 o'clock, over across the parking lot at the well, they're going to be having a meeting. And if you've ever done that walk before, they'd like to get a community group in Canyon established. And uh, Living Water has been a part of that in the past, helping them do a, a, a meal. And so if that's something you'd be interested in, just kind of reconnecting with some of those uh, fellow pilgrims, I would encourage you today at 2 o'clock to come to that. Um, it'll be across the parking lot at the well. <clears throat> I know that this is a long weekend, fall break. We had some kids that were off Thursday and Friday and then Monday. So some people took the opportunity to get out of town, but I'm glad that you're here. Amen? I'm glad that you're here and glad you came to worship. And uh, I'm glad that we've got our Bibles and we can hear from the Word of the Lord uh, what He has to say for us today. And uh, as I was preparing in my office this morning, I was torn on do I, do I kind of abandon the message and go to something that's more practical or relevant to what's going on today? And I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to stay the course and here's why. As we look at the TV and we see that Israel is currently under attack, it is a reminder to us that this world that we live in has an expiration date. Amen? And we don't know what that date is. No man knows the day or the hour, but we see things that are unfolding prophetically. I'm in the Middle East. We've been knowing about this for years. We've talked about it for years. And now when we see it happening, it kind of catches our attention. And we're like, God's just doing what God's always said he's going to do. So the question is, what do we do with that? I would say, as believers, here in Canyon, Texas, we pray for Israel. Because God loves Israel. That's the holy land. That's his people over there. That's his real estate over there. And I would say, pray for Israel. And we've been, hopefully, doing that so far, um, that God would protect. Isn't it amazing how that little piece of real estate over there is so small and for centuries, it's surrounded by enemies who would love to take it out and annihilate it. And God just supernaturally has protected them, preserved them over all of these years. That should tell us something, that they're special to God. So what do we do? And then I think about on our front here, uh, sometimes I think that we adopt this attitude. Everything that we're reading in Scripture, you know, this is good stuff, but when times get bad... Well, we need to put that on the shelf, and we just need to rise to the occasion and do whatever is necessary in these moments. Might I remind each one of us that pretty much all of Scripture was written in the middle of bad times. And it's in the middle of that context of hardships, imprisonment, persecution, that the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. As we've been saying all along, um, this is not a letter that was written to correct any bad doctrine. It's not a letter that was written to, to correct bad behavior. It is a beautiful description of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the impact that it has on our lives and should have um, in our lives. So we've been in Ephesians for a few weeks now, and as I was considering today's message, it's a call to walk differently, a call to walk differently. And I do believe it is relevant because in the midst of all the chaos, can I just tell you that one day this world's going to come to an end? And some people think, well, we need to bunker down, we need to get our, uh, our, our food stocked up, ammo stocked up. What if we're nuked out tomorrow, right, and we're standing before God, the maker of all, all of it? I'm going to tell you. Um, I think there's an urgency on behalf of all of us as believers to just redeem the time to make the most of whatever time we have left on this earth. I'm not saying that to scare anyone. I'm just saying it should be a wake-up call to us, church. Amen? Can I tell you, even though this world is shaken, there's a kingdom of God that is never shaken. And we're citizens of that kingdom, and this, this world is not our home. We're temporary residents here, and one day we will be at home with the Lord. I don't know about you, but that is the goal of my salvation. That's why I placed my faith in the gospel, because I knew 
that one day when this world's over, I will spend eternity. And I know, as the Apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed in. And I'm persuaded or convinced that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Amen? There's a confidence, there's a hope that comes with that. So then coming back to the text and where we're at with the Apostle Paul, he kind of touches on an area where the gospel should have an impact in the lives of all of the believers. Now we understand that when you come to the faith, um, it's considered being born again, and it's expected that we all undergo this process of spiritual transformation. And this often leads to changes in behavior and attitudes and values with an emphasis on living a life that reflects the teachings of Jesus. We get that, right? So we're not just saved from the wrath of God for all eternity from a place called hell, but we're saved to something as well. We're called to something. We're called to live a transformed life. Now, Paul doesn't just jump into this to remind you all. He started in chapter 1 letting us know all of the benefits that we have in the gospel, who we are because of Jesus. He starts in chapter 1 by saying God chose us in advance through Jesus to make us right with him, right? That if you've placed your faith in the gospel, the key word is in him, in him, in him. He's adopted us. We're holy and without fault in his eyes. His grace has been poured on us. He's purchased our freedom. He's forgiven our sins. He's showered his kindness on us, all wisdom and understanding. He's revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ. Aren't you glad that you know about Jesus? He's revealed that to us. He's given us this inheritance kept in heaven, out of reach of a corruption decay. Um, He's given us his Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God gave himself to us as a seal, a guarantee that we are his and that we'll receive this inheritance one day. That's just the first of chapter one. Then he goes on to say that we once were dead in our transgressions and sins. And he says, but God has made us alive when he raised Jesus from the dead. We once were dead, now we're alive. In chapter 2, he says uh, that we once were outsiders, these Gentiles. We were separated, but now we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He goes on in chapter 3 to talk about the mysterious plan. In chapter 4, two weeks ago, we began a, a change in this letter where Paul basically does this transitional word, therefore. And what he's saying is that chapters 1, 2, and 3, all that we are and all that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Based on all of that, therefore, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you, I'm urging you to live a life worthy. The word is axios. And you remember the little scales that we had up here a couple weeks? And what he's saying is that what, what God has done for us is heavy. If you put it in weight, it's heavy. And he said, now live your life in a way that's equal weight, counterweight to that. How are we going to do that? How can we ever give to God all that he's given to us? How can we live in a way that's worthy of what he's done? So Paul begins to unpack that in chapter 4, verse 1. And the biggest thing that he hits on is unity. Because what he's saying is there used to be two groups, Jew and Gentile. Now there's one. God has put us all together like a big building. And in a building project, you have the foundation. It's the first work. You never build it over and over and over. But it's done. It's one and done. And Christ is the chief cornerstone. And everything from that moment forward is being built on top of it. We're building a building, right? This house of God. He also says you're like the body with Christ as the head. We're all a part of the body. And so Paul says it's important for us to watch our attitude, be humble, be gentle. But then he goes into this thing on unity. And we unpacked that a little bit more last week when David talks about, hey, each one of us, we're uniquely equipped 
to continue the building of the work until we all reach this maturity. God's goal is maturity for us. Amen? And so now Paul goes back to, in verse 17, living as children of light. And let's just jump right into it. And the first verse is like, why does it matter how we live? Why should we walk differently than we did before Christ? Well, here's what Paul says in verse 17 of chapter 4. With the Lord's authority. So let me stop there for a moment. Paul is making a statement that should carry a lot of weight because he's not saying, I, Paul, say this or think this, but I'm saying this as though the Lord himself is saying it. It's with his authority. I testify by the Lord's authority. The Lord is telling us this. I say this. Live, that word is peripateo. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It means behavior, walk, talk, actions. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So he's saying, hey, this is important stuff here. We've been Notice it doesn't say do all this first and then chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's saying God has done all of this for you, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now... Live your life worthy. Learn how to walk differently. Because you used to be one of the Gentiles. Remember in chapter 2, this is what it said of us before Christ. We used to be considered outsiders. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises of God who made, he made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. That was our condition before the gospel. But aren't you grateful for the gospel? But God, who's rich in mercy, and because he loved us so much, he brought us near. Once we were far away, and now we have been brought near. You used to be a Gentile, but you're not any longer. To bring it in today's terms, you used to be an unbeliever. There was those days when you were the unbeliever, but now as a believer, your life should look differently, right? There's this expectation that there's this transformation that takes place in our life. And he's saying, don't live like you used to live. Notice the, the words there, they, speaking of the condition before salvation or those that have not placed faith in the gospel, they are hopelessly confused. It's like an empty, hollow life. He says they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives them because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurities. And that's what they do. That was the life that we lived before we came to Christ. But verse 20, he says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. So he begins to kind of switch gears and say, this is what your life was like before, but let me show you what it should look like now. And so Paul now calls them to walk differently. Why? Why do we walk differently? Because this is the life that we were saved from. Amen? If you consider, this is the life that he's rescuing us from. Because if you go over to Romans chapter 1, I won't, maybe I'll read it all. I'll do what I want. All right, what's this? God's anger at sin, his wrath against humanity. Listen, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark 
and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God handed them over. He abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, because he handed them over, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and they served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is what God abandoned them to their shameful, that's why he abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. Yes, he said it, right? And he says, and the men... Um, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other, people did shameful things with other men. As a result of their sin, they suffered within them themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do um, things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and on and on and on and on and on. They refused to understand Break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. This is a picture of those that are not redeemed. This is a picture of those who are not trusting in the gospel. This is what we need saved from. Amen? And so this is the life that we once lived. And we hear the gospel that, that God's wrath is poured out on that behavior and those actions. We're like, God, I need a Savior. And he says, I've got good news. My son Jesus did it all. And you trusted him and you place your, your trust in the resurrected Lord. He's like, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And Paul's just building on that and says, you need to walk differently because that's the life that we were saved from. And he's calling us to a new life. We're no longer that way. This is a life that is characterized by emptiness, hardened hearts, shamelessness, and lustful pleasure. I brought my jacket with me today. I graduated from a little school in southwest Oklahoma, and this is my letter jacket. And I'd like to think it shrunk, <laughs> but it didn't. I don't, I don't think it did. I think I grew. But anyway, it still fits. Yeah. All right. So I graduated in 89, and I was heavily involved in band and choir. And um, the one I caught a lot of flack with is on the back. There's a cheerleading patch. Like, ooh, you're a cheerleader. And I'm like, yeah, I went to cheerleading camp with 300 girls and 30 guys. Eat it, right? It was awesome. As a guy, <clears throat> but I wear this today, it brings back some memories, but it represents the old shame. I'm not that guy anymore, amen? There's some things that have changed. First off is the weight. I don't weigh 120 pounds anymore. It's like 190. There's a big change there, but a lot of the actions and the attitudes. The guy that wore this, I don't know how many, 30 years ago, was hot-headed, y'all. If you looked at me the wrong way, I'm like, what are you looking at? 120 pounds, it was very intimidating. And I would fight, wouldn't I, Rachel? I was, I was, I was quick-tempered, arrogant, jealous, mean-spirited, absolutely not tender-hearted. I was raised in church. I grew up hearing these things, but I wasn't committed to cry. I was living for shame. And it was a jacked-up life, right? And that's what Paul is saying. This is what the Gentiles do. This is your old life. And you're not that anymore if you've placed your faith in the gospel. This is the old me. And I need to get rid of it. Amen? And so how? 
How do we get rid of it? Look at the next verse, verse 20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. We're talking about the gospel, the teaching of the word. Since you've heard about Jesus, the gospel, verse 22, throw off. Apotithomi. Throw off. This word is translated many different ways. Get rid of. Um, one of the times it's translated in the word imprisoned, and we get this idea that you arrest or you take something as a prisoner. You remove it like clothes. You stop. You strip it off. And the idea is that you stop oneself from being in a state or a condition conceived of as divesting oneself of a garment. Are you following me, church? That's what Paul's saying. Look, that's the way you used to live. Don't live any longer like the Gentiles, like the old Shane. Put it off. Get rid of it. Can I just tell you that's a process? I wish it was an overnight thing, right? Wake up the next morning and the old you's gone. It's a process. Ask my wife. It's a long, painful process. But God's faithful and, praise God, so is Rachel, patient. The old Shane, I don't ever want to go back to that guy. <clears throat> there were things there that I look back and I'm ashamed of who I was then and Something was missing in my life. I needed change. And when I finally committed to Christ and the gospel, like I said, I wish I could say it was overnight, but God began a transformation in my life. It was not a self-help program that I did on my own, but he began through the Holy Spirit in my life to bring some change that so desperately needed to be brought into my life. That's how he works. Right? So the first thing is we got to put off. You gotta get to the point where you realize, hey, this is not who I am any longer. I need to put that to the side. I need to divest of that garment. And notice the second thing here, verse 23. Instead, let the spirit say, let the spirit. Here's something that's important. I think we need to know. He's not gonna make you do it. Think of the Holy Spirit like a gentleman, right? He's gonna lead you into truth. The Bible says he will guide us in the truth, John chapter 16. He will not speak of his own. He'll convict the world of sin. He will guide you into truth. He's not going to make you walk in it. And so Paul then says, okay, listen, get rid of the old you, the old way you lived, and let the Spirit. That is, hand the reins over. Remember I said I was in control of the old life? To hand the reins over and to say, Jesus, I've messed this thing up. This is the result of me being in control, and I need to turn over the controls to you. Holy Spirit, would you take me and change me? And the beauty of that is he will. And here's what I'm convinced of, too, of the Holy Spirit. He's not cool with living in an environment that is, well, still worldly. And what I say by that is he's not going to be like, it's no big deal. That Romans 1 passage where people say, I'm a believer, but it's okay how I do. Holy Spirit's going to go, that just doesn't, that's not right. And he's going to bring conviction into our hearts and our lives. Amen? So the Holy Spirit brings this conviction. It's up to me to let him guide me. It says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. So it's a renewal. It's a process, a rethinking, a changing your stinking thinking. Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to discern what the will of God is, his good and perfect and pleasing will. Right? But he says you've got to have a renewal of your mind. It's got to change your, your thinking upstairs, and that includes your attitudes as well. Let the Spirit do his work there. And through a process of listening to sermons, 
Maybe it's a conversation with a friend. There's some conviction that comes there. Maybe you're just reading your Bible alone and the Holy Spirit reveals something to you. Or you, you have a conversation and you leave that conversation and something doesn't feel right. And you begin burdened, you know, feel burdened and convicted. And you say, I just, there's something in there that didn't fit, feel right. The Holy Spirit might be saying, hey, I want to fix that in you. Let the Spirit. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. And then he says, put on your new nature. Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So you see this exchange here. Uh, how is to throw off the old. You've got to be willing to let go of the old. You've got to be willing to say, look, I, I've placed my faith in Christ now. And there are things in my old life that, man, I needed rescued from. And praise God, he's rescued me through the gospel. But I need to quit living like I still live there. Amen? Can you imagine being your pastor? I wouldn't be a pastor, first off, if I was still that same way. They'd have ran from me. That's the beauty of the gospel. God transforms a lot. We need to put it off. We need to let the Spirit renew our hearts and our minds, our attitudes. And you know, we, I don't know how many sermons I've heard over the years, but God sure talked to me a lot. How many times he's just revealed things in his word, and I'm reading it, and I don't want to see it. I don't want to read it. Like Romans 1, people don't want to hear that. That's not Shane's word. That's God's words through the Apostle Paul, right? So don't shoot the messenger He's the one that's given the message. And there are things that we read in the Word and we're like, I don't like that. But I'm like, this is God's heart. And so I have to come to the place in my life where I'm going, oh, this is painful. But I acknowledge this is an area that God's speaking to me in. Anybody else feel that way? Am I just preaching to me? Oh, it's beautiful when he begins to do that. And he renews our thoughts and our attitudes. And we, we begin to look differently. We begin to walk differently. We begin to talk differently. We begin to, as he says, put on... I wish this was white, but it's not. But how I many you know it's significantly different than the other one? The other one's a leather jacket, sport, old, too small, dirty, right? The other one fits better, looks nicer. It's completely different. And that's what Paul's saying is like this new life looks different than the old life. Amen? So people say, well, you can't judge. The Bible says you'll know a tree by its fruit. And so when we say we place our faith in Jesus and we live our lives as though we don't know him, the world's confused. And my Bible says that we should live our lives in such a way that our light, it says let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, right? And so we should be so, it should be obvious our change. When people look at you and say, man, what happened to you? Something's different with you. I mean, I'm, I know the old Shane. My aunt's here. She knows the old Shane. Don't ask her any questions. But she, she knows the old Shane. I think she would testify today that there's a big difference in the one that grew up in southwest Oklahoma and the one that you see here today. Praise God for that. And, and just lest we forget, let me remind us that it is by grace you have been saved. It's not by works. I'm not saying that we put on the new, we take off the old. This is like all of this that we can do. On our, we can't do it on our own. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And notice that he doesn't say that he's blessed us with all these blessings in the heavenly realms and done all of these things for us because we have changed the way we're living. He said, no, 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 no. No, God's done that for you. Remember the scales? Now I want you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've been called to. I want you to live a life that's in keeping with that. I want you to walk differently. Amen? 
And in case we're confused and like, well, what does that look like? What does that, what does that mean? He goes, all right, let me give you some practical examples. Stop telling lies. Now think about in the context of unity and community. One of the greatest, I guess, casualties of unity is division and relational issues. And so most of what he handles in this next section of the, of the scripture is dealing with as it relates to other people. And God has put us in this new body, this new community, this unity. It's beautiful. And he tells us in, earlier in four to do what you can to keep um, the, the unity, right? To protect it, to keep that unity. And so if we're going to do that, we're going to have to change the way we deal with people. I could stop right there, amen? we got to change the way we deal with people because the old life deals with it one way and this life that we're called to deals with it a completely different way. And he says, listen, if you're telling lies, that's the negative, that's the old. He says, let us tell our neighbors the truth. Let's be truthful. Let's be about being honest with people. And sometimes truth hurts, but let's just be honest. Let's don't sugarcoat it. Let's just be honest with them. Listen, for we are all parts of the same body. He says, we're in this same body together. We're all one. He says, don't let, or don't sin by letting anger control you. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. By the way, throughout this last section of scripture, there are 10 commands in the Greek. Commands, not suggestions, but he's like, hey, do this, don't do this. So the first one is, stop telling lies. Tell the truth. He says, don't let anger control you. Let, don't let it get ahead of you and over control you. And then he goes on to say, don't go to bed mad. Don't, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. You need to deal with that because it gives a foothold to the devil. Verse 27, don't give the devil a foothold. You heard me say two weeks ago, who left the door open, right? Relationally speaking, when we go to bed mad, it's like leaving a door open for the enemy of our souls to come in and wreak havoc in the church. And my friends, this is a time when the church needs to be unified like never before as we're going through what we're going through in our world. Amen. So he says in verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. That's the negative. That's the old man. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. That one took a while. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Can I ask you a question? If this is a building project built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, with Jesus, the cornerstone, and we're building on it. Can I ask you an honest question, church? Are you on the building crew or the wrecking crew? Because there are some people that are really good at the wrecking crew, right? Um, in fact, a Christian band called Building 429, that's where they get their name from. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good at building others up, right? So we're to encourage one another, we're to build them up, not to be a part of the, the wrecking crew, to be a part of the building crew. It doesn't mean that we don't speak truth, but it just means that we're not so quick to jump in with the harmful, abusive language. Verse 30, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Do you know that you can grieve the Holy Spirit that lives in us. The Bible says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you? And if he lives in us, there are things that we can do and say that can bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. I don't want to do that. He says, remember, he has, he has, he has, past tense, identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. That's good news, right? He's like, Holy Spirit's there. 
He's identified you. He sealed you until the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness. Have you ever met a, a bitter Christian? No, I'll move on. Rage, that's the old chain. Anger, harsh words, and slander. That's like destroying people's reputation and character. We see that in the media every day, don't we? We see it in church. Circles, and community of faith where you say something about someone, it might be true, it might not be true, you might have just heard it, but it does a lot of damage to the character, the reputation of people. He's like, get rid of all of that stuff. That's the old person. As well of all types of evil behavior, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Well, that's a word that is absolutely relevant to today, isn't it? In our church, is we're expected to walk differently than we did before Christ. The idea is it's a transformation that takes place. And we're to live according to that. It's like, I'm not doing it to earn it. I've already earned it. I'm doing it because he's asking me to live in equal weight to what he's done for me, worthy of the call. So you might say, what does that look like? Let me just say this. For some, for some, it means changing your, your connections, your groups of who you're hanging out with. There were people that I hung out with back in the day that were not good for the old chain. They encouraged the behavior, the words, the language. They encouraged a lot of the old self, the old nature, the old man. And I had to kind of make a cut from some of those people. The Bible says bad, cup, bad company corrupts good character, right? And so, so for me, it was like I had to make a break from some of the locations, some of the people. If I was going to make a new start and live in a way that honored God, I had to make a break to get away from. Have you heard the phrase garbage in, garbage out? I'm an old cable guy, and that was absolutely true when it came to amplifiers. Whatever signal you're bringing in, you amplify it and send it out. Garbage in, garbage out. The same thing is true with what we put in our minds. And so I'm not one of those preachers that's going to hammer on every movie and every song. I like a lot of music. But I know that there's some of it that's vile. There's some of it that's trash. Amen? And as a believer, I'm like, should I really be listening to that? Can I just say Eminem is trash? I, there, I said it. There you go. Change to NF. He's a lot cleaner and he's a Christian. All right, so anyways, music, movies, friend groups, books. I mean, you could go on. What does that look like for you? What does the Spirit want to do in your life? What do you need His help with and growing you and causing you to walk differently in this new life. What do your reactions look like? Listen, it should be so common for us to respond in a way that reflects that we are his. I read a story about a soldier who was in the military for years, recently retired, and another guy that was going to play a prank on him knew that he was a soldier for many years, and this soldier was carrying a bunch of boxes, and this guy sneaks up behind him and says, attention, and without even thinking about it, he drops everything in his hand and he comes to attention. It was second nature to him. Without a conscious thought, the veteran was doing what came naturally for him as a soldier. Similarly, as believers in Christ, we should respond in a manner that corresponds with our new life. Our behavior is to be more and more in line with the example of Jesus in his life. Amen? When we walk with Christ, we become more like Christ. What's at stake? Righteousness, holiness. He's, he loves you right where you're at. But he refuses to leave you there. He wants to make a change in your life. He loves you right where you're at. And the old hymn that we sang, the vilest offender that truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. 
but he refuses to leave you there. He will begin his work of sanctification in your life. That's his goal, and it is the will of God that we be sanctified. That's not my words. That's his, right? So what else is at stake? Unity. To bring it back in the context of what Paul's been talking about, God has made these two groups that were separated before that wall of hostility. It's gone, and God has made one new group in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, you as a body, you as a building, whichever metaphor you want to use, it is important for us to protect, to keep, to nurture the unity that God has already put there. We don't have to make unity. God made that in the gospel, but we are to protect it and keep it. And when we go on and we act like it doesn't matter how we live our lives, we can have the gospel and live the way we used to live. There's a lot of damage that can be done with the old man in the context of this unity. Do you hear what I'm, what I'm saying this morning, church? So... It is imperative that we understand this, that, listen, I'm not getting cleaned up so that God will love me. He already loves me, and he's already made everything available to me through the gospel. But Paul is like, hey, with the Lord's authority, I'm telling you this. Don't live that way any longer. Don't live that way any longer. Another place it says, come out from among them and be separate. We are separated for a purpose, God's people we are his people reflect him and hopefully the world looks at us and says why are you different why do you not respond in hate and anger and fits of rage at some of the things that are going around you're like man i i've placed my faith in the gospel i'm not going to be shaken i know that he's got a plan and a purpose i'm just going to trust in him i'll let him fight my battles for him he is my defense man we would do much better to have that attitude especially in the context of the body of christ amen Oh, I don't know how the Lord's speaking to you, but he was speaking to me this morning on this. And I, I love, I love, love that I can look back at my own life and say, God, thank you that I'm not that young man anymore. And it's, to hit, it's not because I'm any good or smart. It's just his work in me. And I say, all praise and glory go to him. And I would hope that all of us could look back and say, you know what? I'm not where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. He's growing me. He's maturing me. It's a call to walk differently. What's your response to that? Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you for just putting that burden in my heart today as we continue on in this journey in Ephesians. Lord, when we consider all that you've done for us in the gospel. Lord, in the weight of what you've accomplished for us in the gospel. And it was not by works, not that we deserved it, but it was all a work of your grace. And the other side of that, Lord, you just say, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Lord, I thank you that the gospel is, is, is just that easy. That whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be, shall be saved. And Lord, we're saved from that old life, but we're also called to a new life, a new walk, a new peripateo, a new conduct, speech, actions, responses. Lord, you're calling us to walk differently. And, and I thank you, Lord, that you are still working that out in my life. And Holy Spirit, I still want you to work that out in my life. Lord, I know I'm not where I need to be yet. So keep doing your work. Lord, I want to continue to let the Spirit be my guide. And I pray that if there be anyone here today that has not placed their faith in you, that today would be the day they trust in you for salvation. The most important decision they make in this life. But Lord, as a follower of Christ, in the context of church and unity and a building I pray that you help us to see how important our role is in growing and maturing and sanctifying, being sanctified in our faith. Because it all goes to this, this beautiful picture of unity that you've created. And you tell us, that's my role. That's our role. 
Because when I get this wrong and I continue to act the way I and I excuse it, say that's just the way I am, that's the way I was born or the way I was raised, all those are just excuses. And we use that to excuse our behavior and we do damage within the context of the church. God, please forgive us for that. But I pray that today you would just begin to work in our hearts and give us a, a tenacity, a, a drive in our spirit and our hearts to take a good, hard look of evaluation in our own selves and say, Lord, what do you want to change in me? Because I want you to change me. Because God, I know you're doing a work. And I trust that you're going to continue that work until it's completion. And one day, Lord, when this whole world is done and the expiration date comes to a fulfillment and we're out of here, we stand before you and we see the why. And all we can say is, God, praise, praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You're worthy of praise. God, would you be glorified in our lives? Would you speak to our hearts where you want to speak and bring the change you want to bring? And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.